Well, Merry Christmas, Victory Church. How are you this morning? I don't know if you've noticed it, but we're almost there. Two full shopping days until Christmas. Just two. So I've got to ask, how many are completely finished with your shopping? Wow, pretty awesome. Okay, and most of you aren't going to raise your hands, but how many of you haven't even started? Hey, one minute. Leroy, thank you. I'm kind of almost in the same boat, Leroy. We, for fun, we looked up some... Uh, popular gifts of the past. You're going to recognize some of these as I name them. In 1975, that was my junior year of high school, I probably bought one of these for my girlfriend. Can't quite remember. The number one gift that everyone wanted was the pet rock. Remember the pet rock? A rock in a box with holes in it. It really existed. That was it. The guy that created the uh, pet rock actually said he was inspired for two reasons. Number one, he knew that people wanted a pet that they didn't have to feed, didn't have to clean or tend to. And number two, he basically said he knew people were stupid and they would buy it. And they did. 1980, the Rubik's Cube came along. How many remember that frustrating cube? And you know how most of us solved the problem back in the day. We took the stickers off of one side and stuck them on the other. Amen. And don't tell me you didn't try it. Most of you did. 1983, the Cabbage Patch Kid dolls came along. How many remember those? Shoppers actually hopped from state to state, stood in freezing temperatures in lines, fought each other in department stores, all to buy this little ugly Cabbage Patch Kid doll. <laughs> Within two years, that ugly doll had $600 million in sales, so I think it did all right. 1990, Tickle Me Elmo came along. The demand was so high in 1996 that people were reselling the doll for $1,500, a little more than the suggested retail price of $28.99, amen? And I'm not even going to ask who in here stood in those lines to buy one of those dolls, but I will say this, if you bought the doll after church, come up for prayer, amen? <laughs> but in this Christmas season, I have to say I love Christmas, I love just about everything about Christmas. I love the Christmas songs, I love the Christmas lights, I love all the Clark Griswold movies, amen? I love all the baking, I love all the Christmas meals, I love family coming together. But what I truly love more than anything is this whole idea about God and what He did for us. He was the creator of the universe, the most powerful being ever, and with a spoken word, He said, let there be light, and there was. He spoke the whole universe into existence, and He created mankind. He created life. Without a microscope or a test tube, God created life. He's powerful. He's almighty. And yet when he came to this earth, he came in the form of a baby. When he came to this earth, he came in the form of a tiny little helpless baby. So today, being almost Christmas, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why of all ways Jesus would come to this earth in the form of a baby. You ever wonder that? In the church, we actually call it incarnation, kind of a big word. You know, come Easter or come Christmas, we hear these churchy-style words. That's a churchy-style word, incarnation. Incarnation actually comes from theologians. It's a term that they use to describe that Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. The incarnation was actually defined as the act of becoming flesh, but it all comes from John 1.14, where the Scripture says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. They're talking about Jesus. The Word of God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But why in the world 
would the Son of God become like one of us? Why would he do that? Why would he become one of us in human form? In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, you'll recognize this text. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Anybody ever heard of Max Lucado, a great minister, a great author? He's written several Christian books. He wrote one called Because of Bethlehem. And in his book, Because of Bethlehem, he paints one of the most beautiful pictures of the Christmas story. I'm going to take a few of his words today. He says, This is the Christmas moment that shaped all others to follow. On a starlit night in the company of sheep, cattle, and bewildered Joseph, Mary's eyes fell upon the face of her just-born son. She was bone-weary, surely, in pain likely, ready to place her head on the straw and sleep the rest of the night away. But first, Mary had to see this face, his face, to wipe the moisture from his mouth and feel the shape of his little chin. To be the first to whisper, so this is what God looks like. So this is what God looks like. Have you ever wondered that? Can you imagine her, uh, the Son of God in her arms, saying, so this is what God looks like. You know, we're hearing all the time about the Christmas miracle, right? Well, the Christmas miracle in my mind isn't so much that Jesus was born, but really that God became like one of us. That was even a greater miracle. That's why Rick Warren wrote uh, his uh, Purpose Driven Life book. Every one of us has a purpose and a plan for our life, a mission and a plan for our life. And I would say above everyone else, Jesus lived a purpose-driven life. Amen? When he came to this earth, he came in the form of a human being. And I have to stop and wonder, why would he put himself through that? You ever wonder that? Why would he put up with teething? Why would he put up with diapers? Why would he put up with puberty? Why would he subject himself to sickness, to pain and disease? Why would he put himself through freshman English or algebra? I mean, why? Okay, maybe I went a little far there. But anyway, today we're going to look at his mission. Today we're going to look at his awesome mission and why it was so important for him to come to this earth in the form of a human being. The first reason, if you're taking notes, is to relate to our struggles. You realize that Jesus came to this earth to relate to your struggles, to relate to my struggles, I think this is huge. Because how many times have you been going through a situation, some trouble in your life, and somebody walks up to you and looks at you and says, I know just how you feel. It takes everything in you to not get back in their face and say, you can't know how I feel. You really don't know how I feel. Well, let me say this about Jesus. He can get in your face, and he can say, I honestly know how you feel. 
I honestly get you. I honestly understand you. I know the depths of your pain. I know whatever you're dealing with right now. He understands how you feel. He's been there. He's done that. Jesus isn't out of touch at all with your reality. You realize that? He knows the very finite details of your life. He's been through weakness. He's been through testing. He's experienced it all, but the Bible says he experienced it all without sin. We all can't say that. Amen? But since we know he understands, isn't it comforting to know that we can come boldly before him? That we can take our problems to him? And because of Bethlehem's, we'll call it Bethlehem's miracle, we can answer some fundamental questions that I know many of us ask, probably all of us ask at times. Does God care if I'm sad? Does God care if I'm upset? Let me tell you this, you don't have to look any further than the tear-streaked face of Jesus when he stood beside the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. It said that he shed actual tears. Does God notice when I'm afraid? Just think back to the resolve in Jesus' eyes when he walked through that storm on the water, coming to his disciples in the boat to rescue them. Does God know if I'm ignored or rejected? You don't have to look any further than the compassionate eyes of Jesus when he stood up for an adulterous woman, when everybody else was coming against her. God cares, and God knows. And the truth is, Jesus understands what it's like to be one of us because he is one of us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest, they're talking about Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, and get this, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he was without sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. Let me tell you, absolutely this morning, Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. Jesus knows what it's like to have friends turn their back on him. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. So if you're here today and you're thinking, nobody gets me, nobody understands me, I've got all these problems and nobody seems to care, well, they may not, but He does. Amen? Jesus cares and Jesus is here to take your burden upon Himself. That's why He came. Isn't it great to know that we have a Savior that gets us? He really does get us. He knows the depths of our pain. He knows the depths of our suffering. He knows the depths of our sin. He knows the depths of our life. second reason Jesus came to this earth, if you're taking notes, was to seek and to save actually set us free. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save that which was lost. His main mission was to go out and find lost people and to save them. That was his main mission. Go out and find lost people and save them. Don't leave them in their lost condition, but save them. I remember when my son Austin was about three years old. Cheryl and I and Austin were up at uh, Walmart and Champagne, and uh, we were shopping. And uh, I was pushing Austin in the little cart, and uh, Cheryl had to run to the back of the store to get a loaf of bread or something. She said, I'll be right back. Watch Austin for me. I thought, simple, no problem. I'm pushing him along in the cart, and he's getting a little restless and uh, asked me to get down, and I do like all dads. Okay, go ahead. Just walk beside me. So he's walking beside me. We get over to the men's department. I start looking at some nice flannel shirts, and 
you know, guys, I just took my eyes off him for a moment, split second, you know what I'm saying. And I looked around and he's gone. No Austin anywhere. My heart went into a panic mode, and it went from my heart down to the pit of my stomach. I'm yelling at the top of my lungs in the store, Austin, Austin, where are you? No response. I'm starting looking around at other shoppers, seeing if they've got my Austin. I was panic-stricken. Fear gripped me like I never felt before. Amen? Some of you parents know if you've lost a child for even a moment. And then at that moment, I hear this little voice that says, Peekaboo, Daddy. <laughs> and there he was hiding in the clothes rack at Walmart with his little head sticking out, saying, peekaboo. I literally wanted to kill him, amen? <laughs> he liked to gave me a heart attack. But I thought about that. Austin didn't know he was lost. Austin didn't look like he was lost. Austin didn't realize the possible danger that he could have been in. And I thought, that's where we are without Christ. That's where we are without Christ, where people don't look lost, don't think they're lost, but they're lost. Because they've never met the Savior, Jesus Christ. They've never let Him come into their heart. The world definitely needed a Savior. God knew it, and God sent it. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Him and His disciples. For there were many who followed Him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about this. This can be a little confusing, but to break it down simply, sick people need a doctor, right? Sick people need a doctor. Sin sick people need a savior. Sin-sick people need a Savior, and the only Savior that there ever has been is Jesus Christ. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then He goes on, and He says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. He came to save the world through Jesus Christ. The truth is, it was absolutely necessary for the Savior to shed His own blood for the, for the forgiveness of sins. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you realize it took a blood sacrifice? It took a blood sacrifice, and that required a body of flesh and blood. This was Jesus' plan for the, this was God's plan for the Incarnation. You realize when Christ came into the world in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Sacrifice and offering, he's talking about under the old covenant, you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Think about it. Without the incarnation, Jesus would not have needed to die. Without the incarnation, the cross would have been meaningless. Without the incarnation. If all that hadn't been in God's plan, it would have been meaningless. What God was trying to do through His Son, Jesus Christ, was help us to become holy, to become whole spiritually by the sacrifice of a body. And not just anybody, but the body of His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to reverse the curse of sin. And we all know that goes back to the garden when Adam fell. And we, we not only inherit a curse of sin, we were separated from God. Christ came to reverse that curse I heard a story 
about a little African boy who was listening intently to his teacher describe why Christians give each other presents at Christmas time. She told the little boy, she said, a gift is our expression of joy over our Savior being born and also our friendship and love for one another. Well, when Christmas Day came, the boy brought his teacher a seashell of amazing beauty. She looked at it and she said, where did you ever find such a beautiful shell? The young boy looked at her. He said, there's only one spot where you can find these extraordinary shells. When he named the place, it was a bay several miles away. The teacher was speechless. She said, why? It's beautiful. It's amazing. But why would you go all that way to bring me a gift? The little boy's eyes got real bright. And he looked at her and he answered. He says, long walk, part of gift. Long walk, part of gift. You think about God's walk. You think about what God did for us. God came from heaven to a manger, from manger to a cross, from, from a cross to a grave, from a grave back to heaven. And we wonder, God, why all the trouble? I believe God would say to us, long walk, part of gift. Long walk, part of our gift. And let me tell you, he couldn't have walked any further for this world than he walked. He couldn't have given any more for this world than he gave Point number three, Jesus also came to show us the Father. He came to reveal the Father to us in John 14, verse 7. It says, if you really knew me, Jesus said, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Have you ever realized when you get to know someone, you not only get to know things about them, but you actually get to know about their family, even if you don't know their family? And I say that because they have picked up their family values, their traits, their characteristics, their attitudes. And seeing how someone acts in certain situations gives us a glimpse of their family values. Do you realize it was the same for the people who saw Jesus? In action, they got a glimpse of what the Father looked like. In the same way, what we saw in Jesus taught us about God. Imagine yourself for a minute looking through a little keyhole of a door. You know, as far as we're concerned, all we think is in that entire room behind that door is just what we can see through that little keyhole, right? It's just keyhole shaped, keyhole size. But it's not until you open the door... It's not until you walk in that you realize the scope and the size and everything that's in that room. Well, Jesus is like that little keyhole. Through Him, we get glimpses of the Father. Through, he, through Him, we get little pictures, little aspects of the Father. But God is so much more vast than we can ever visualize, so much more vast than we can ever imagine. So what did Jesus actually show us about the Father? I say one of the most obvious things he showed us about the Father was compassion. Compassion. He showed us compassion that came and was born out of a heart of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we would or should be called children of God. See what love, and he says lavished. When God sent his Son, he lavished he lavished his love on this world. That's a whole lot of love beyond our comprehension. But in his compassion, think about Jesus. He healed people. We read that all the time in the scriptures, right? 
He healed people of leprosy. He healed people of blindness. He healed paralyzed people. He healed hemorrhaging people. He healed people with uh, mental illnesses. He healed their bodies, but he also healed their spirits by lovingly challenging their behavior and then forgiving their sins. I believe Jesus shows us that God intends for us, actually, this world to be whole. God intends for us to be whole people spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. And I believe Jesus' healing miracles point to that compassionate Father, can point to that loving Father. Jesus also shocked the world. He shocked society by his heart for the poor and the vulnerable and also his challenge to the rich. Do you realize back in this day when this was written, a sign of wealth or when you were wealthy, it was a sign that you were spiritually successful? Well, Jesus comes along and kind of breaks that mold. Jesus kind of comes along and tells us what real spiritual success is, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others. Amen? When Jesus demonstrated his love by healing people, by providing for their every need, and by forgiving their sins, guess what he was doing? He was showing us a glimpse of the Father. He was showing us the face and the heart of the Father. They were one and the same. Like Father, like Son. And let me just ask you, doesn't it make you love God all the more when you see what His Son Jesus has done for you? My signature scripture is, He that has been forgiven much loves much. I and only I and God know the depths of my sin and my past and all the things that I had been broken and done. And God forgave me. He that has been forgiven much loves much. I can't help but love Him to realize the second chance that He gave me. The love that He has shown me, I can't help, him but, help but love Him with all of my heart. I'd say the same question could be asked of every man in this church tonight, or today. Are you anything like your father, and in what ways? There are some people whose uh, personality are, uh, is so magnetic. Uh, they're so special that you want to know more about them. You want to know not only about them, but their family, their parents. What were they like? Well, when I think of the bigger picture, this is so true about Jesus. If we say we belong to Him like He tells us we do, if we've accepted Him, we ought to be showing out our family traits. Amen? We ought to be reflecting His glory and His love to the world around us. So Jesus came to do and accomplish, I'll just say three major things. Number one, relate to our struggles. Some of you need to realize that this morning. Jesus came for you. He came to relate to your struggle. Number two, he came to set us free. Maybe somebody needs set free in here today. And I know many of us have been set free. And he came to show us and reveal the Father. Reminds me of another story. Most of us haven't been to Hawaii. A few of you have. But most of us have probably never heard of the Hawaiian island, Malaki. It's got quite a history, but you have to go all the way back to the early 1800s to find it. Back then, there was no cure for this horrible, deadly, contagious disease called leprosy. A disease that would, would attack the extremities of your body, your fingers, your toes, your ears, your nose. It was a horrible, dreadful disease that back then was incurable. Today, it's curable. But it wasn't back then. So in order to keep the disease at bay, in order to keep it from spreading and becoming an epidemic, the government would send lepers to, the, lepers to a colony on the island of Malaki where they would be secluded and isolated from people that hadn't been infected with the disease. So in 1873, there was a young, brave Catholic priest named Father Damien 
who volunteered to spend his life serving the people on that secluded island of Malachi. When he arrived, he was startled to see people were not only suffering physically, but they were suffering socially, emotionally, and spiritually. In this leper colony, he saw extreme drunkenness. He saw extreme immorality, abuse. He saw an overall sense of hopelessness. What he saw were people who were desperately needing to know the answer to the question, as we all do, where is God? They needed the presence of God in their life. So in 1873, Father Damien lived among these 700 lepers, knowing the dangers, realizing the inevitable results of spending so much personal time in contact with this highly contagious disease. He built hospitals, he built clinics, he built churches, and he built some 600 coffins. And the whole while, he was giving this group of lepers the answer to the question, where is God? Whenever a church service was held, Father Damien would stand in front of the lepers and he would warmly and lovingly address them as my dear brethren. But then one morning in 1855, at the age of 45, in a calm, clear voice, instead of saying, my dear brethren, he began with my fellow lepers. I am now one of you. You see, it was out of love that this humble priest became one of them. This humble priest, out of love, gave them a gift that was going to change them from there to eternity. He shared with them the answer to the ever-present question, where is God? And the only way he could give them the answer was to become one of them. Think about the bigger picture of God now. The only way that he could show the true love of the Father was to become one of us through Jesus Christ. The Christmas story goes on, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom His favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Right now, God has made known to you and I this same good news, this same promise that a Savior has been born. Why did He come to earth in the first place? He came for you. And He came for me. He came for this world. He loved us before we were born. He knew us before we were born. And he came to give us the good news that this world is not all there is. Amen? And he says, I will be with you. He says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So when I think about Jesus and his wounds that he suffered on the cross, he can, you can point to your wounds. Jesus can point to your wounds. And then he can point back at his wounds and say, this is why I came. I came for you. I came to take your bruises. I came to take your broken heart. I came to take your broken life. And restore it. I came to be with you. Not just to be an approachable God that I can come to. No. A God that has come to me. A God that has come to you. To live with us day in and day out. Forever and ever. Deep down, that's what the Christmas story is all about. God. Emmanuel. God with us. Manifested in the flesh. 
That's the heart of Christmas. That's the heart of our Father. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I hope you see a bigger picture of this loving God. As I was preparing for this message, I saw a greater picture of a loving God in a greater way than I'd ever seen before. So let this message move into your heart. And let it bring the truth about, about a God that gave it all. Long walk, part of gift. Long, 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 eternal walk, part of gift. That was His gift to us. Our gift back to Him is our life. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we thank You that You went to so much trouble for us, for this world, that You came for us. We thank You, Lord God, that You were willing to become one of us, that You know what it's like to be us. You know our struggles. You know our weaknesses. Lord, I thank You that You can relate to our every struggle we face and that You've come to reveal Yourself through Your Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts closer to you and nearer to one another in this Christmas season. And may you be glorified in every breath that we take, in every step that we take. May we glorify and honor you and draw closer to your heart, not just through this Christmas season, but from here on out to eternity. We give you the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all and Merry Christmas.